On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Brian Pivar. He is the Senior Director of Data Science, Machine Learning, and Business Intelligence at Kraft Heinz. Going to be an interesting episode because Brian has a fantastic background coming from some large tech companies, and now he's at Kraft Heinz. That's a major brand, but has some legacy components. And we're going to talk to him about what he's doing to transform the company and uh, kind of his journey and, and also his decision-making to go from large tech firms to a uh, product company. Be interested to hear his thoughts. Brian, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited to be a part of it. Absolutely. Thank you. And I'd love to kind of hear about, you know, uh, we'll talk about your background in a second, but tell us what your role and responsibility is at Kraft Heinz and just kind of let us, you know, anyone who hasn't heard of Kraft Heinz, maybe just fill them in as well. Sure. Kraft Heinz is the third largest food company in the U.S., fifth largest food company in the world. We have brands like Philadelphia Cream Cheese, Oscar Mayer, obviously the Kraft brand, the Heinz brand, to name a few. Over 40 categories in your grocery stores that we have. We also provide food service to a lot of your favorite restaurants. So I know a lot of restaurants you'd go to probably serve Heinz ketchup as an example, but we provide a lot more than that. Also baseball stadiums, and sports parts like that. We're also providing a lot of the food there. Me in particular, I've been at Kraft Heinz for two and a half years. I came in kind of as employee number one in the data and analytics space within data science and, and business intelligence uh, with the idea to build this space out. So we started with zero employees that have slowly built the team up to about 2025 people. Within that time frame, now we've got kind of the ball rolling and it's slowly rolling at first and now it's been rolling faster and faster and the business is starting to see the impact that my team is having and has added a lot of fuel to the fire with regard to funding and kind of really scaling what we're doing. So I'm building out these chapters within the Agile organization and we're going to be launching 20 to 25 Agile pods within the next two years. Each of these pods has roughly a $20 million impact to our bottom line and will consist of some combination of data scientists, software engineers, data engineers, business intelligence engineers, product owners, scrum masters, etc. So it's really exciting as my kind of role transitions from this teaching the organization what data science and BI is and doing more descriptive and basic analytics to now starting to build standalone tech products for the organization. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's super interesting. We'll kind of peel back into some of that stuff because I think everyone's going to want to know about the structure of these Agile pods. But maybe just taking one small step back because I want to start maybe at the top. I alluded to the intro that uh, you, you know your background comes from you know, some larger tech-focused companies and your Kraft Heinz. I guess maybe talk to us about where you worked previously, just the high level of companies and roles and responsibilities. And then obviously the follow-up question to that's going to be, what took you to Kraft Heinz in the first place? Yeah. So I, I don't think I'll go back to the full beginning of my resume. Yeah. I'll skip ahead a little bit. But I was at American Express as a financial analyst was doing some SQL and some Oracle business intelligence there. I was using Oracle's products and using some Tableau. Just like it was infancy back in the day, figuring it all out. And Uber uh, recruiter reached out to me on LinkedIn and said there was an opportunity there. And at that time, I did not know what Uber was. 
Uber was a $20 billion startup, but it wasn't that well known back then. Obviously, I ended up taking the job. I spent about three years at Uber, started out kind of leading analytics for the Southwest region of Uber, which would be all of Arizona, all of Nevada, all of New Mexico, and Utah as well. When I joined, I think we were live in five cities. When I left, I think we were live in 15 cities in the Southwest. When I joined Uber, I think they were live in 100 cities globally. When I left, it was over 500 cities globally. And I think I was employee like 1460. And when I left, there were over 12,000 employees at Uber. So the scaling and growth was crazy. I mean, week over week, double-digit growth was normal. And it was abnormal if you didn't have double-digit growth week over week for years. It was, it was insane. A lot of the work I did at Uber was they gave me the freedom to find problems and run experiments to solve those problems. So through SQL, through data analysis, through talking to drivers and riders, I would start to investigate and find problems and start to try and solve those problems. As the company grew, I felt a little more seasoned in my work at Uber and my reputation was kind of building. I wanted to tackle the biggest and hardest problems that Uber was facing. So at that time, Uber was in kind of like a war with Didi in China. And it was like, hey, who's going to get more market share in China? China is the next frontier. We got to win China. And both companies were dumping so much money into China by incentivizing drivers and riders. So I ended up spending a lot of time on experimenting in the United States and major cities on different driver and rider incentives. So it was, it was a really fun, fast-moving time. Not a lot of sleep, not a lot of days off, but I worked with so many smart people solving so many cool problems and watching. We'd run an experiment where the experiment cities were Chicago, Seattle, and San Francisco, and we'd scale learnings of that experiment directly to Chinese cities, and they just implement it. They couldn't even experiment. They just have to implement best practices. So I'm on calls at all hours of the day and night with people all over the world trying to make sure that what we're finding our best practices are being scaled. But I ended up running over 250 experiments in my time at Uber, me and my team. It wasn't just me. But a lot of what Uber's incentive structure and program is today's infancy came from the work that me and my team had done. So now in the Uber driver app, there's something called like your Uber driver journey. And every week you'll get a journey and it'll be like, hey, this week you need to take 50 trips. If you take 50 trips, we'll give you a $100 bonus. That infancy started with us running these experiments. We didn't have it built in the product at the time. It was all manual. I was sending emails. I was sending text messages three times a week. Hey, man, you've done 40 trips, 10 more to go till you get your bonus. That was me sending a manual text message. I had to handle all the customer support for it. Obviously, now it's much more scalable and productionalized, but it was before they, they would add to the product, you had to experiment and prove it out. And we were just moving so fast. And I'm just touching the surface on some of the stuff we did. But time at Uber was really fun. I ended up moving up to Seattle. My wife's job took us up there. I was still working for Uber. I transitioned into the Seattle office there. And there's just like a magnet in Seattle that it just pulls you to Amazon. There's like no way around it. Amazon is just a beast and their HQ is there. And um, ended up finding a role there at Amazon Restaurants, which is uh, food delivery for Amazon. So think DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats. Thought it was a great transition for me from Uber and rideshare to food delivery. Great transition there. I'd also now be leading 
the entire kind of data and analytics team. So data engineers, data scientists, BIEs, and, and business analysts. And we handled all things front end, back end reporting and analytics for all of Amazon restaurants. The organization was a total of like 350 people for all of Amazon restaurants. We made up about 15 to 20 of it. Amazon has an interesting mindset in that any business they start has to have a software engineering team and an analytics team. Those are like two cornerstones of any business that started. This business had been around for three years before I joined it. So it wasn't like it was brand new. And I was kind of backfilling for someone that had moved on to another role within Amazon. So it was cool. I liked my time there. I think, and I I hate to use Amazon terminology, but I'm going to use a few. Amazon has a saying like one-way door versus two-way door. A one-way door is when you make a one-way door decision, there's no turning back. Once you make that decision, you can't undo it. The two-way door is you make a decision, you can undo it if it doesn't go well. And so the saying is like, if it's a one-way door decision, a lot of people need to sign off. You need to really think this through, test it. If it's a two-way door, don't waste your time getting sign off. Just do it. If it doesn't work, we can undo it. A lot of the quote-unquote one-way door decisions within Amazon restaurants, data and analytics space had already been made. And one-way door decisions, what cloud provider do you use? How are we structuring our data warehouse? What data visualization tool are we using? Granted, Tableau is a great data visualization tool. I'm not saying I would have chose a different one, but those decisions were made. And now you have hundreds of dashboards built in Tableau. You don't want to try and shift that over to Power BI or something else. It's just going to be a huge pain. So in my mind, I kind of thought of it as like Amazon restaurants and data and analytics when I joined was 85 or 90% of the way there. You'll never get to 100%, but like they were close. I optimized that got us to 95, 96, 97% by doing some more advanced analytics stuff. I think one of the key problems that everyone I think that does food delivery can think through is like, how many restaurants is the right number of restaurants to see? Like some of these apps have 500 restaurants. You're like, oh my gosh, there's 50 Italian restaurants. Which one do I choose? You almost get stuck spending 30 minutes trying to pick a restaurant. So that was one of these foundational questions they asked my team to solve is like, what is the optimal number of restaurants to see as a total? And then broken down by category, what is the right number per category to see? And so we worked a lot on that, which is to say like, is it best to see 130, 150 or 180? It's still going to be good either way. In your head, you think 180 is best. There is like a a decline after a certain amount we found. But anyways, that was my time at Amazon a little bit. Why did I go to Kraft Heinz? As I think there were a few reasons. Number one, Amazon restaurants is a tiny sliver of Amazon compared to AWS and Amazon.com. So when my team moves the needle on revenue, increasing at 20%, decreasing expense by 15%, My pay and how I feel is partly determined by the stock price of Amazon. Amazon restaurants doesn't really move the needle on the stock price. AWS and Amazon.com and stuff do. So then I thought, okay, maybe I'll I'll transition to another role within Amazon. Where would I want to go and why? Amazon Go was cool. Amazon Prime Air, Amazon Video, I thought were all kind of up and coming cool areas to go into. And I interviewed and talked through that. And was just kind of at that point, it's about two years in at Amazon and just kind of thinking through where did I want to go next? And Kraft Heinz came knocking on my door and I took the opportunity seriously. One, because 
I felt it was a really cool mission for me and a cool challenge to undertake to take a legacy food and beverage company that I grew up with. I mean, I grew up with Kraft Mac and Cheese. I grew up with making grilled cheese sandwiches with Kraft Singles and dipping it in Heinz ketchup. I grew up with Lunchables and like all that. I grew up with Philadelphia cream cheese and Oscar Mayer and all that. So like, I know the brand well. I really like that piece of it. To take this legacy company and bring them into modern tech company was something that I thought would be a really cool challenge and fun to solve. And I thought like that's a mission that I can get behind and building something from nothing and having these one-way door decisions that I'm deciding if we're making this decision or not is something that was very attractive about the role. I also like the leadership at the company. I like the mission of the company. And it was based in Chicago and I was born and raised in Chicago. So that also played a part in, hey, I want to move back to Chicago eventually. This is a good opportunity to do so. So anyways, that's part of the rationale. I came in my first month and basically was just a consultant and kind of had to assess everything and try and determine what we need to do and when and built out a five-year roadmap on how we're going to get there. Because I'm like, this is going to take five years. This isn't a one-year project. So we're two and a half years into this five-year path that I've laid out. And it's actually going faster and better than expected now with kind of this agile methodology that we're moving toward. Yeah, we could actually... uh probably dive into your Uber background and uh, Amazon background and, and, and talk extensively. And, I'm, and I think it's amazing to make the transition to Kraft Heinz, which is a different type of organization. And you said something that I want to go back to. You mentioned building something from nothing. And maybe if you can talk through, when you mentioned building something from nothing, what was there? Like, obviously you're coming in from a high tech company, so perspectives might be different. But when you walked in the door, was there a data science department? It sounded like there isn't. What tools were in place? What were they working with from just uh, analytics or BI perspective? It was mainly Excel and PowerPoint and manually pulling data from SAP or a Nielsen, like a Nielsen type company data provider, manually going and pulling the data into Excel and building these massive, heavy Excel files. You're talking. 20, 25, 50, 100 megabyte Excel files that sometimes take a long time to load. And if you try and change a formula, it may take you 30 or 40 minutes just for Excel to process through the whole formula. Multiple people at Kraft Heinz computers broke because they were trying to change a formula in Excel and it just died on them. So if you think of analytics as like descriptive, predictive, and prescriptive, almost all was descriptive. And within descriptive, it was mainly done in Excel and PowerPoint. We had a data lake. It was 4,000 tables, no documentation, no good structure, no knowledge, random things randomly put everywhere. We had zero business intelligence engineers and zero data scientists at the time. That's what attracted me to the role. The ability to build a team from the ground up, build the type of culture I wanted, bring in the type of people that I wanted to help make this change because I knew it was going to be a big change to the company. So that's, I think, a little bit about where things started. I'd say in the whole company, we have about 30,000 employees. When I joined, maybe 15 people knew SQL at the whole company. And I'd say maybe 5 to 10 people knew Tableau at that time in the whole company. We had Tableau. We had a couple of things, but no one was really utilizing it. You know, so it's just like we had a few tools, 
you can use SQL in the data lake, but like no one even knew what SQL was really at the time. So that's a little bit about where it started. I think uh, when you mentioned 30,000 employees, you know, from the outside in, I'm thinking, you know, pretty advanced analytics. You're mentioning 15 people knew SQL and five people, you know, maybe knew Tableau. And it's fascinating because uh, you would not expect, you know, the, the sheer volume as a, that's what you mentioned, a top five food producers in the world. I mean, you would think that obviously the abilities would be higher. Hence, you mentioned the attraction. You mentioned not moving the needle at Amazon, not seeing your impact. You mentioned having pods that are, have $20 million impact. So the attraction to the job was to make that impact, to, to see, I guess, a five-year roadmap come into fruition. Touch on the five-year roadmap, because obviously, you know, you're selling that to executive board. They don't have a technology fundamental and apparently what you're going to be doing or implementing. So how does that conversation work from your standpoint to paint the picture, yet knowing you've got a lot of plumbing? I think the key was building a strong foundation, right? So we need a strong data foundation. The leaders were like, Brian, we want you to come in and build these really cool, fun data science tools. I'm like, you can't just build data science tools without a strong foundation. So there was a lot of teaching and showing them on a roadmap, like, hey, your number one is about building a strong foundation slash automating some of your manual reporting needs and trying to change ways of working. Because a lot of these analysts were spending 20, 30 hours a week building reports. And so it was like, if we can automate that, now they can actually do other work that's more important. So that was a big piece of year one that could still add a ton of value because now we're freeing up people's time to spend on other things while also building a data infrastructure. So there's like two things in my head going on. There's like building a long-term data infrastructure that won't necessarily see huge impacts in year one because it's like you have to build it. And it's hard to sell to executives because it's longer term and, and like a data warehouse isn't necessarily this cool, shiny thing that, that executives love. They love the tools that are built on top of it. So we were doing that for long-term sustainability. And then in the short term, it was like, what are these tools that we can build that will make impacts quickly? So we tried to identify those. The route I've taken at Kraft Heinz and at Amazon was I tried to meet with each of the leaders in every organization at Kraft Heinz. And we focus specifically on the U.S. for year number one, because the U.S. made up about 75% of the revenue of the company. And we thought, let's just focus in one area to start. So we met with every single organization that reported to the U.S. president, sales, operations, supply chain, marketing, different business units, etc. There's, you know, ended up being 10 or 11 met with their leadership teams, got different projects and ideas. And they weren't even thinking in terms of what a data scientist can do. They were still thinking in like, I have this Excel file, can you automate it? Like that's where their head was still at too. And so that was a little bit about year one. Year two was then about starting to bring in data scientists that can make impacts and start to build some basic data science models. Like nothing crazy because we can't go from A to Z. We got to like, do the whole alphabet here. And so that was a little bit of what year two was on the roadmap. I think as my roadmap has evolved within every quarter, I try and tweak it a little bit just to stay up to date. But it hasn't changed that much from day zero to year two and a half now. We're still 
on that path, which the mission has been the same, to be the best data and analytics organization in the CPG industry by the end of 2024. That's the same mission, hasn't changed at all. And I think we're still on that path. Year two is making impacts in the US and year three was starting to scale globally. So now we're more than that. We're building these agile pods that are going to make huge impacts. But part of year one and two, as I have alluded to a few times, like data foundations, data infrastructure. Hey, we're on-prem. We're leveraging Hadoop and SAP. How do we move to the cloud? Which cloud provider do we use? So there was a, a debate about that. We tested a few out. We tested GCP. We tested Microsoft Azure. And we ended up going with Microsoft Azure. And 2020, during COVID and everyone working from home, we migrated from on-prem to Microsoft Azure and have like on-prem is now gone. Everything is now in the cloud in Azure and we have Snowflake running on top of Azure as well. So we now finally have a modern tech stack, which helps me attract and retain talent and also make bigger impacts. So, you know, all of these things don't take a day to do, especially at a big company like Kraft Heinz. It takes time. But I feel like we're in a really good place to continue on my five-year roadmap. So hopefully that answers your question. Oh, that's amazing. And I guess when you were just the sheer you know, scale of moving to the cloud from your on-prem solutions, having to go through and evaluate between various providers, I mean, a company with 30,000 employees, global footprint, what's maybe one of the top obstacles in having to make that decision? Because obviously there's probably various factors that could come into play here? Always the top one is like too many cooks in the kitchen. That's always my thing. Like we have so many people's opinions that then it's just like too many cooks in the kitchen. So how do we get the right people in the room to make the right decision in the right timeline? So we tried to have, you know, 20 to 50 people test GCP and Azure for 60 days. Both of them were 60-day trials, bring different pieces of data in run different things, do speed tests, look at ease of use. Like We evaluated on a number of things. Thankfully, the majority of people were all for Azure. There are a few that were not. So it was an easier decision. And we got the right people in the room. Ends up being like your CIO. You know, It's like your top C-level executives in the room to decide. But it's, it is a process and a lot of iterations of getting passing a deck back and forth aligning with all the stakeholders on the story we're telling and why, benchmarking everything. I had my team spend a lot of their time in both of these environments, testing them out and ensuring. Now, there's, there's another variable, which is cost, right? So like, hey, we already use Windows. We already use Microsoft Word and PowerPoint. So we already have a contract with Microsoft. Are we able to leverage that to have a much more cost-effective way of doing this, which is a variable that I wasn't taking into account. I was taking into account the technology, right? But that was my evaluation piece. So then you have your CFO come in and look at the numbers and do all that. So like I said, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen to get alignment. It's not like a startup where it's just like, all right, Brian, just pick one and let's just go, right? So Rip it or rip it. Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely not. However, I, I don't know if fun's the right word, but it's fun to have this approach versus an Uber, which was like, I don't know, Brian, just do it, right? Now here, it's like, no, we got to do everything the right way. We got to test everything. We got to get everyone's opinions. Then we got to all come to a conclusion together. So it's just a totally different process. Just to touch on, you know, deciding the cloud provider, you know, 
is that a one-way or two-way door decision for you at that point? So for me, it's a one-way door. Is it theoretically a two-way door? Yes. Theoretically, I mean, every cloud provider is, yeah, you can move over. But like, we're not picking a cloud provider to move after a year. That's not our goal, right? So for me, that's a one-way door. Maybe it's a 10-year door, right? But like, I don't think you want to go back on that decision within the first 10 years. And maybe I should touch on why I haven't brought up AWS at all, because I came from Amazon and I wanted to go with AWS. That's my number one thing. All the people that I brought in from Amazon on my team all knew AWS backwards and forwards, and that would have been the easiest thing for me. Amazon and Walmart don't get along very well. And Walmart basically says, if you have our data, it cannot be stored in AWS in any way. So we work very closely with Walmart. We're one of their better customers. And we wanted to make sure that we didn't do that. So that kind of took AWS off the table. Or it made us say, do we want to keep Walmart's data somewhere else and keep everyone's else data in AWS? And that decision was clearly like, no, we want to have everything in one place. To add to that, I've talked to a lot of other similar people to my role at other CPG type companies and how they've structured stuff. Some companies do have two or three different cloud providers. Like that is not unheard of to do. We just said for easiness, let's just try and have Azure be our primary where 90 plus percent of data is kept. I don't want Walmart off on an island somewhere else. So that was the thought process there. You mentioned something uh, early on. I want to circle back this because I'm curious uh, how you've structured some of the behind the scenes. You've mentioned building these agile pods and you've talked about the, obviously the financial impact, different players in a pod. I guess maybe can you describe some of the thought process? I mean, what are these agile pods supposed to do? Obviously, it seems like you're kind of building these self-contained teams rather than vertical teams. I guess maybe some thought process and that would be great. Yeah, it's kind of a big shift for our company and a way we think we can align really good tech talent to all be focused on one thing with 100% of their brain power. So the way we've structured it is, and I'll use data science, our quote-unquote data science chapter as an example. So I, I have a data science chapter right now. All of the data scientists hardline report to the data science chapter. So they report to a data science manager who is their manager. That manager will help them with career development, will help them with if they get stuck coding, will help kind of do different trainings and learnings for them with regard to data science will help do team happy hours and fun data science team activities. So we're getting all the data scientists to bond and become friends. However, day to day, you're in your agile pod working on that big kind of project. So we're not doing much of the quote unquote project management or checking in and making sure that, you know, of course, if you're not working hard or you're not doing a good job, I'm going to hear about it and try and coach you along the way. The thought process on this is we want to change our ways of working to be more like a tech companies. And we have this big digital transformation that's happening at the company. And we've kind of identified five or six buckets that we think are, are really big opportunities for Kraft Heinz to make impacts in this digital transformation. Within each of those five buckets is around five projects that we think each has very big price tags in terms of how much money we can save or make the company. So we have roughly 25 off-the-top ideas and projects. And now it's like, how do we spin this organization up in the right way and then scale it? So it's kind of like the crawl, walk, run mantra is what we're using right now, that we're still kind of crawling in that 
we have three pods launched. We're launching two more in the next three weeks. So we'll be at five. We'll launch two more around July or August. We'll be at seven. And by the end of next year, we want to be at 20 or 25. So we're going to have to start walking and running quicker. The long-term idea is like, if you have this pod that has software developers, data engineers, data scientists, BIEs, product owners, scrum masters, subject matter experts, you get these 10 or 12 people and they're working really well together and they're building cool things. And then they build a product and it's making an impact. Now I can take them and put them on a new problem to solve, to build a new product. And they've all worked together already. They're all kind of clicking and we can start to now move these pods around in 12 or 18 month cycles to keep working on these crazy, awesome projects. And what we found so far is as one pod is solving this problem, it's actually opening up more doors of problems that needs to be solved. So like we've started on a three different areas. Marketing is one, but more personalized digital marketing. Supply chain is another one, which started with inventory optimization for ourselves. And procurement is the third one. Basically, how do we get all of our raw materials for cheaper? I'm vastly oversimplifying. In just trying to optimize our inventory, we've quickly found four or five other problems that can be pods within themselves very easily. And we're seeing this happen again and again. So it's like, all right, add it to the backlog of things that we're going to have to do. We have to stay on track. We have to solve the goal we're going for. But now we know there's other things that need to be solved as well. It makes sense because you are trying to tackle these business problems, marketing supply. I mean, these are for Kraft Heinz, I'm assuming supply chain is massive. Procurement itself is just a massive area. While I was listening to you, it took me back to your original story about Uber and um, being responsible for um, texting people yourself until it got automated. And I started thinking like, you know, there's these structured areas he needs with these dynamic teams he's building out. And then how they operate, I wonder how differently they must feel to him because you're coming from these modern tech companies where it's like, hey, just go, you know, one way, two-way doors, go, 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 text them yourself. And all of a sudden, a Kraft Heinz, a large public entity with a larger you know, footprint in different ways, right? How do you change the decision-making process for you, for your teams? And how does that work within that ecosystem? So I think we're trying to build out this digital organization that has a different thought process, strategy, and mindset. And it starts with leadership, obviously, right? It starts with us as leaders pushing that mindset down, but it's also bringing in the right people that have that mindset too. So I think that's been one of the areas that we've really been focusing on is like bringing in top tech talent from these type of companies that have a similar mindset to me, right? So like that's been a big push that we've been making in the last six to eight months. I've never really pushed to have really high level principal data scientists at Kraft Heinz in the past. It was like, this is overkill. We don't have like, we're not ready for it. But now we're starting to bring in much more experienced data science. And I'm using data science as an example, but across the board, experienced people that can make a big impact and help shift the culture, help bring that mindset to a more junior data scientist that is like every single thing is a fork in the road and they got to ask 10 people before they make a decision. If your principal data scientist says, dude, just go with your gut, choose A and go. And then in a week, we'll all meet and review it anyway. So 
we're on two week sprints. We're doing sprint reviews in these two week cadences. So really like it's go, go, go for two weeks. Then we'll review, make sure that what you did the last two weeks is okay. And then you'll plan for the next sprint and go again. So I think that's helped in changing the mindset. And we never did sprints previously at Kraft Heinz like this as a company. So I think doing these sprint reviews helps. In the sprint reviews, you have the kind of executive sponsor from that part of the org. So for supply chain, we'll have like our head of supply chain for procurement, the kind of head of procurement. And the data scientists will speak for 5 or 10 minutes about their model, what they've done, the methodology. They'll present about it. And I've never once heard, dude, why the hell did you do that? We went the wrong way for two weeks. This is crazy and terrible. Like Nothing ever like that. And I try and push this to people. It's, it's a learning experience. We're constantly iterating and evolving and growing. And that's okay. So that's part of the way we've been trying to do it. And the hope is like this mindset and methodology in an agile kind of sprint fashion will continue to evolve and grow and potentially rub off on other areas of the business as well. But we're like, let's not tackle the whole company. Let's tackle our little area of the company first and then potentially scale it from there. Yeah, they're getting the data they need and they're seeing the right trajectory. The buy-in is obviously a lot easier. When you're looking yourself, I guess maybe go back to two and a half years ago when you first joined, you come in, you're still looking at you know Excel and formulas and there's barely a footprint. And you're now you're looking back at the two and a half year journey would you do anything differently? I mean, you obviously have a five-year plan. It seems like it's executing on track, but anything that you potentially learned that you go back and do slightly differently? Yeah. I spent some time on trying to work with HR to scope out job descriptions and banding and pay structure early on. But I think I would have spent more time and fought that fight harder back then. What I found was it was hard for me to hire the people I wanted from these big tech companies because they pay so well. And there's never been a business intelligence as you craft time. So I'm creating a new role at the company. I know what it is, you know what it is, right? But when I'd hear back from HR, here's the pay ban, like, no, man, this isn't enough to really find the level of talent I wanted. So I think with this digital transformation, we are like basically blowing up the old comp model and rebuilding a comp model for each of these roles that is the right comp model to have. And it is allowing us to now bring in the top talent. And I'm saying that because to me, I think people is the most important thing. If I get the right people, I can make big impacts. We can come up with great things. But if I'm not able to attract top talent, it's going to be difficult for me to make as big of an impact as I'd like to. So I'd say that's the one thing I would change is kind of trying to build a better comp structure. And it wasn't that. I tried. I just kind of like didn't fight the fight hard enough. You know, it was like, oh, this should be X. And they're like, no, it's X minus Y. I'm like, no, no, it needs to be X. And then it's like, all right, screw it. We'll just go with what you guys said. And then when I'd interview people and they'd be like, oh my God, this company's great. I want to join. And then we get to negotiations and it'd fall through because we couldn't give them what they were looking for. And that happened to me a bunch of times. And so that was a little frustrating. I think I brought in the right leaders under me. So I think that was very important. And I wouldn't change that at all. I think it was more acquiring the top talented builders that we got great people. I don't want to say anyone on my team is bad, but like there were a lot of people that I saw, I had them, we interviewed them, they were ready to join the company, they were sold on the vision and it just fell through in the negotiation process. 
because we couldn't ban these better. So that would be the one thing I, I think top of mind I'd change. All the other stuff is kind of what I expected. Now, that being said, kind of a one-way door, not really, but like, hey, I got to make the decision in the job description for a BIE for what the titling should be, what the comp should be, working with HR and getting it. Was it a smooth process? No, but like, that's part of why I joined the company. I wanted to do that kind of stuff. So, and then I was like, okay, I fought that fight enough onto the next thing. I think I should have fought that fight more, but lesson learned. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, from what you described, not having those capabilities to all of a sudden, you know, not only needing the capabilities, but needing people to execute at a certain level, that that is a big shift. And I guess you mentioned career paths and kind of different lanes within the new team, obviously, that they didn't have. And if you were kind of talking to people out there who might be considering a similar move, right? They're working at a big tech company and they just don't think about non high tech companies. But what you're describing, it sounds really exciting. Sounds like you're making tangible change to a multi-billion dollar company. What advice would you have to those people? Well, I'm going to give less advice and more of a sales pitch to join Craft Heinz because I sure. have to. But I, I think that some of the selling points to joining Craft Heinz would be, we're at our infancy in doing this still. So Amazon, Google, Facebook, etc. These people are have it all figured out. And so there's a selling point to that, right? They have it figured out. I can work with a bunch of people and they'll teach me new stuff and I can keep evolving there. What it is here is you're able to help build out what we're going to have and you're able to make huge tangible impacts to the bottom line of the company. We also have built out really good career paths for tech talent that you can take an individual contributor career path, or you can take a people manager career path. I think what I found at some legacy companies, and especially at Kraft Heinz, the only way to get above a certain level is to start managing people. So we've changed all that. Now that isn't the case at all. And from a pay perspective, that isn't the case at all. A principal data scientist makes just as much as the people leader that is equivalent to a principal data scientist, which would be like a lead data scientist. They make the same amount. I also think because we're at our infancy, there's so much opportunity for growth and impact that you're going to have a much faster road to promotion and faster road to making an impact than you would at one of these big tech companies because these big tech companies, and I alluded to with Amazon, are already 90% of the way there. You're just trying to get to the last 10%. At Kraft Heinz, we're 10% of the way there. We still got 90% to go. So there's so many opportunities to make impacts. And lastly, like we got a great group of people, a great diverse team that it's an opportunity to join and add to the culture of the team where it's not like, holy crap, you have 500 data scientists. I'm just a number. Like, no, we're not that big right now at all. You can still help shape what our team becomes and how Kraft Heinz is going to evolve. So Every time I talk to people, they always get very excited about it because it is a really cool opportunity. And it's like a brand and a company that you grew up with. So all of us grew up with, right? I think we have 99% household penetration. We're in almost every house in the United States. One of our products are. So it's a company. And a lot of the people on my team were not born in the United States. And they still knew Kraft Heinz and had a product of Kraft Heinz in their pantry. I've heard a few people that said, I moved to America and one of the things that brought me back to home was Heinz ketchup. I had Heinz ketchup 
in my home country. I went to the grocery. I didn't know what anything was, but Heinz ketchup was there. And that made me feel like I was home again. It was a taste of home. It's like, that's awesome. So anyways, I would say those are a few reasons. I also think we have a great leadership team and just a really competitive compensation as well. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Um, cause I think I was interviewing, uh, the head of data in Ezra Bush and, uh, it's such a brand that everyone knows and craft is similar. Yep. And I don't think it occurs to people that, you know, the dynamics behind the scene, the value, the impact can be so incredible. Obviously, I mean, you've explained what you guys are doing. It sounds like an amazing journey that you've been on. It's, it's halfway through, you know, what you're trying to accomplish and having that brand, you know, Heinz, we've, you know, I think it's a catch-up. I think I'm not a brand snob for many food things, but I won't go hunts. It has to be Heinz. Don't ask me why. It's just I'm fixated on on specific ketchup. Go figure. Agreed. But um, there's other brands that people associate and just the richness of the history behind that data that you guys have to work with. I mean, somebody with your background, it seems like it's a playground of just what you can do. And, and obviously, I'm sure on the five-year roadmap, there's going to be some things that you're you're focused on that are going to kind of be game changers for the organization. 100%. And I think that you just hit it on the head, Mike. There's still data that we're just scratching the surface on and what we can even do. We have about 37 plants throughout the United States that are making all of our products. And there is a ton of data that comes from all those plants. And are we fully utilizing all of it? No, we're not, right? So there's tons of opportunity just in that data alone, which is our own data, to make massive impacts to the business from you know, how many Capri Suns come off the line every hour to you know, electric use of each of the plants, to trucks that are picking up our products and moving it to different warehouses and distribution centers. There's so much intricacy into our vast supply chain as the third biggest food company in the US that we're still scratching the surface. And that's part of what makes this really fun for me too. Is like, I feel like we're 10% of the way there, not 90% of the way there. But even that 10%, we were at 1% two and a half years ago. Now we're ready to just you know, shoot to the moon, basically. Awesome, man. I think it's a fantastic journey. I hope uh, my hope for the podcast, the takeaways is that people realize that there's opportunity everywhere and it's really what you make of it. And in a case where what you've described, what you're doing at Kraft Heinz, I think you're in, you know, if we do a follow up podcast in two years, I think you'll be talking about some things that uh, I think might blow all of us away in terms of what you've accomplished. And I, I certainly think you'll do it. And I appreciate you being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you having me. And if anyone is interested, feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And it's just my name, Brian Pivar on LinkedIn. So would love to hear from anyone, good or bad, fan, not fan, interested, not interested, just uh, build out the networking community. So thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll include your LinkedIn into the show notes. So yeah, please reach out to Brian with anything following up. If you want to See if there's an opportunity at Kraft Heinz for you. You know, he's the guy out there uh, on the data team. Otherwise, that's it for this episode. We'll be back again with another show, with another guest, another topic. Two things. If you're finding value from the podcast, please, you know, share it. I think it's we're getting a lot of organic growth. It's exciting. Obviously, you guys are sharing it. That's kind of the driver. So I appreciate that. And secondly, if there's something you want me to talk about, if there's a subject, a guest that you want me to find uh, for the show, please hit me up on LinkedIn. I can do that. Until next time. Thanks.